Well, good morning, Peninsula Community Church. Uh, my name is Andrew. I'm the student ministry pastor. And uh, Pastor Jim is actually downstairs right now filling in with SVECC. Uh, but we're going to continue on with our Invisible series today uh, and keep moving on with uh, where, where he was intending us to go. So don't worry about that. As I was looking into today's Invisible, though, uh, a story came to mind uh, as I was thinking about who this character was. And I realized uh, it actually was something, in a sense, I've seen played out in my own life. More than a, a couple years ago, I would say, uh, my mother actually volunteered for the children's ministry. Uh, they needed help, and my sister, who is actually much younger than me, uh, had just started third grade, and, and their group of girls especially really needed someone to step up and to help. And so, so she jumped in, she started helping out, and she felt like, well, her gifts and her abilities uh, fit really well with the younger kids. Uh, that, that, was, that was where she felt comfortable, where she, she wanted to be. And so she poured in and she vest, invested into these group of kids uh, throughout third grade, throughout fourth grade, throughout fifth grade. Uh, but when time came for them to start transitioning now into middle school, uh, she was kind of preparing herself to step aside. She felt like uh, she was better fitted while they were young, but now as they were getting into middle school and they were becoming teenagers, uh, that in her mind, the younger and the cooler leaders need to step in. She was thinking, okay, uh, these girls aren't going to want a, 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 a year old mom. They're going to want a, a young, hip, uh, college-age girl to come in and help out. And so she was preparing to step aside. What was interesting, though, was uh, what ended up happening was so different than what she expected. Uh, instead of them wanting... Uh, someone who, who in her mind was younger and cooler and, and, and had the energy and, and had all these crazy ideas, they wouldn't let her leave. They begged her to stay. In their mind, she was the cool leader because she had invested in them. And so she stayed. Even though she felt like uh, she was more comfortable with the younger kids, she decided to stay and, and step into a new area because she felt that something special was happening with this group. Over the next three years, uh, God worked in an amazing way in this group. Uh, they exploded. I mean, they like took over the entire middle school ministry. Uh, and what's interesting is actually now, um, this year, this fall, they just became freshmen. So they, now they just transferred again into high school ministry. And as they moved into high school ministry, uh, what was super cool to see is that this group already, as freshmen, was the biggest group in the high school ministry uh, they were the most active group in the ministry, and they were by far uh, deeper than any class that had come in before them. And I think all that took place because, uh, I won't say the age, your old mom uh, <laughs> stepped up and became an unlikely hero uh, to these group of girls, became an unlikely catalyst uh, to this group of girls, even though she, she in a sense, felt uncomfortable or, or felt like, you know what, maybe there's someone better. And the reason that stuck out to me is because I think, just like my mom, today's invisible uh, is so important because, well, God works through unlikely but willing people. God will work through unlikely but willing sources. And my mom, in her mind, might have been very unlikely for this group of girls, but because she was willing, God did amazing things. And I think that's what happens with our invisible today. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, go ahead and turn to Judges 3. We'll work our way there, but as we do, I thought it was important that maybe we kind of uh, understand a little bit of what happens in the book of Judges, and, and then we can see how our invisible fits in with that. Uh, 
See, in the book of Judges, there's this cycle that plays out over and over and over again. Um, if you're familiar with the book, you're probably familiar with, uh, with this, in a sense, thematic cycle that takes place. And it's, it's not just someone trying to create a good story, but it was something that was happening uh, within the nation. And, and so what was kind of happening, if you see on the, in the screen, is that uh, the people would turn away from God and it would, it would be, uh, in a sense, they were forgetting God as the language used. Uh, they would drift farther or farther away. They would drift into sin. They would drift into idols. They would make themselves idols, and they would drift farther or farther away from God. Well, as they drifted, God would send uh, uh, someone in to judge them, not in the positive way that the book of Judges is the title, but in a more uh, negative way. And so there was a group, another nation would come in, and they would conquer Israel, and they would subjugate them, and, and things would begin to get worse and worse and worse for the nation of Israel um, and if you've ever been caught in a bad situation, whether you're a student and you forgot to study for your test or you're an adult and now you caught yourself in something much more serious, you know that when things start getting bad, that's when we start turning to God. And so the nation, as things got bad, they would turn uh, back to God and you would see this cycle kind of progressing. Um, and while the people may have forgotten God, God didn't forget his people. And so God would send then a judge in there. He would send a hero. He would send someone uh, in a sense, to deliver them, to rescue them. And, and there would be th this uh, period of peace, this period of prosperity, this period, uh, 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 in a sense, of closeness uh, with God, where now they're remembering as God remembered them. Unfortunately, though, it was a cycle, and it continued over and over and over again. And as we uh, progress in Judges, uh, the period uh, of peace got shorter and shorter and shorter. I don't know if you noticed, though, I think two of the key words, though, that pop out, not only in Judges, but especially in the cycle that was taking place, uh, are the words remember and forget. There's remember and forget, and, I, and these words, I think, were in there for a very specific spiritual purpose. Uh, they pointed to something deeper. Uh, oftentimes, God was asked to remember his great mercy and his great love. And they weren't praying that in a sense of like, hey, you forgot your keys at home. Remember where you go found them? Or do you remember if you left the stove on? Uh, it was a much deeper remember. It was, uh, you know, God, we know you're this way. Act in your character, please, for us now. What's interesting, though, is the flip side. The flip side was this forget. And, and it was often attached to Israel right? Israel forgot God. And I, I think in the same way, it was an active forget, just as it is an active remember for God. It was, it was something that was happening uh, to them. And, and what, I, what I really began to notice, I think, was uh, the way it was described was that their hearts forgot God. I think their hearts forgot God. Oftentimes, their phrase, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, followed this time of forgetting God. And I think that was to show that more than, than, than a loss of head knowledge or a loss of a teaching, tradition, stories about God, what was really happening was a disconnect. And, and some of that stuff probably happened over time, but, but the biggest thing was there was this disconnect uh, with their hearts. All of a sudden they began taking foreign idols and they turned themselves into idols they, they, they wanted what they wanted, and, and, and all of a sudden there's this disconnect between what they know about God and what they're living in their own lives. 
And it, it kind of shocked me as I was studying this because it, it hit home in a sense, right? It, it made me think, well, okay, that's scary because how often does that happen to us? How often do, do we, uh, in a sense, have what's real in our heads not a, end up being what's real in our hearts? These moments where we acknowledge something to be true intellectually, you know, we, we know God exists or, or we know the stories of Jesus, but how often do we let that move our hearts? And so I think it, it shocked me and it startled me and, and it even made me think about this area, right? Like, uh, um, you know, we know Jesus to be true on a Sunday morning or, or we, we know the stories, but, but what do we look like outside of a Sunday? It's easy on a Sunday morning or for our youth on a Wednesday night uh, to come here and we're around all these Christians, we're around great people and we're energized and, and we can sing great songs and, and we hear about the word and, and we have this feeling and this momentum in a sense, but what do we look like in a, uh, on a Monday when all of a sudden it's, it's not as convenient? My, uh, my grandfather, he, uh, he used to tease us in kind of like his grandfather wisdom ways, but he used to do it in a, in a, you know, not the traditional grandfather wisdom way. Maybe it is. I'll hear afterwards. He would sit us down, and, and he, one of the lessons he wanted us to know was he would say, you know, Andrew, he'd look all serious too. He'd be like, I just want you to know, you should never lie unless <laughs> it sounds better or benefits you in some sort of way. Otherwise, never lie. There I am as a third grader thinking, wait a minute, that math doesn't add up. But I realize now, in a sense later, it really what it's highlighting, in a sense, is how we view, in this case, truth, right? We like truth when it's convenient. We like truth and we value truth when it's the best option. I think that happens with our faith too, you know? We, we value it when it's convenient and when it's, when it's the best option, but what happens when things get in the way? What happens when there's a disconnect with our heart? And so I think that's what we begin seeing actually really happening uh, with the Israelites and, and really what we happen seeing with us as well. And so um, for them, as they're in this cycle, that's why they kind of need that continual upswing. That's why they need this revival. That's why they need uh, God to come in and to do something because these truths that were real to them and were acted to them on a daily basis all of a sudden were left in the back of their mind. Thankfully, though, while his people forget, God remembers. And so God continually, even though it's a cycle pattern, uh, he continually steps in. He continually saves his people. And today, actually at the beginning of Judges, Judges 3, we're going to see he sends um, what would be considered in their day an, an invisible. He sends a very unlikely source of help. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Judges 3. We'll be in verse 12 um, to start off. And we're going to look at today's invisible uh, Ehud. I have to make sure I say Ehud, which I probably will forget throughout the service because Jim, Pastor Jim will come up and say it that way next week and then i got to make sure we're consistent. Um, Otherwise, you know, you guys are just automatically going to believe he's right and not me. So I got I to gotta step up. Judges 3, verse 12, that's where we're going to be. It says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and because they did evil, 
the Lord gave Eglon, the king of Moab, power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join Eglon, he came and attacked Israel, and he took possession of the city. The Israelites were subject to, to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Doesn't really give much after that, but he just says they're subject to him for 18 years. It's a long time. But all of a sudden, it then skips down to this next verse, this next part of the cycle, um, where we, we, we see 18 years of struggle all of a sudden jump to. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gerard of Benjamite. All right, we're stopping right there for a second, because now we're introduced to our invisible today, Ehud. Um, and, and I think the first thing that st- sticks out about who Ehud is, is he's a lefty. He's a left-handed man. Um, in a sense, this resonates with me because I'm, I'm, I'm sort of a lefty. My father didn't let me become a lefty, so I, I use my right hand. But anything I do naturally, I do left-handed. And so uh, I love to hear a good lefty in the Bible. The problem is, I don't think Ehud is like um, a, a sweet swing in Ken Griffey Jr. or a, a musical Par McCartney like kind of genius element happening, right? I think there's uh, a, something a little different happening here. And the reason I think that is because uh, the cultural differences that were at play. Our culture celebrates some people like this, uh, but that wasn't the case for Ehud and during his time. It would have been shocking. Uh, and the struggles would have been much different. It's not just like, oh, lefty smear ink um, as they write across the paper. Uh, he would have been looked down upon. And the reason being is not just because he chose to be left-handed, but uh, most likely people think that he didn't choose to be left-handed, but that something happened to his right arm. That something happened, he was paralyzed or is disfigured or is wounded or something happened to his right arm. And so he didn't, have to, he didn't choose to be a lefty, uh, but he was forced to be. And I think part of the reason that people think that is because um, lefty or the right hand was this, this hand of power. It was a symbol of ability. When you fought, you fought right-handed. Um, it was the sign, you know, David, he struck down X number of, uh, of these people with his right hand. Or you sit at the right hand. Uh, Jesus is at the right hand of God. There's a symbol attached to it. But not so much with Ehud or Ehud. And so the scholars, are, they believe that something probably happened to him. He's disabled, it's paralyzed, it's disfigured. And so because of that, Ehud is a surprising choice. It, it, it seems uh, surprising. No one would have chosen him to, to, to be God's deliverer. He didn't have the signal of strength. He, he wouldn't, you know, he's not a Steve Rogers, Captain America kind of choice. He... He would have not been at the top of any list. And so even though no one would have chose him, God still chooses him. And that should stand out to us because we wonder, well, why? I think it's because when placed in God's hand, all of a sudden we'll see in the story that uh, Ehud's greatest disadvantage all of a sudden becomes his greatest strength. And that's what begins to happen in this next part of the story in in Judges uh, 3.15. We see what begins to happen with Ehud and how he becomes this hero. It says the Israelites sent him, Ehud, uh, with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Okay, so he's going with them to, to pay like a tax, to give a gift, uh, um, to, to, to give this tribute. It says, now Ehud made a double-edged sword about a cubit long, 
which was strapped to his right thigh, because he's a lefty. Um, it was interesting, you normally would pat down the other side, right? Everyone's right-handed. Um, and it says, uh, he went in, he presented the tribute to Eglon, the king of Mohed, who was a very fat man. I love that they just throw that in there. Um, like, you don't want that to be your legacy in the Bible, but <laughs> there it is. And it does come into play, as we'll soon see. It says, after Ehud had presented the tribute, uh, he sent uh, on their way those who carried it. So he sends away the rest of the group. And, and, but on reaching the stone images near Gilgad, he himself went back to Eglon and said, Your Majesty, I have a secret message for you. So in a sense, it's a little espionage going on. Right? He, he comes with a group of people, and then um, you know, he's, they start leaving, and he kind of steps away from the group. Uh, he walks back, and he says, hey, I have a secret message for you. I have something I need to tell you, but it's, uh, you know, we've got to keep it on the down low. And so the king said to his attendants, leave us. And they all left. Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace, and he said, I have a message from God for you. King did not apparently want to hear that. As the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand and drew the sword from his right high and plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle uh, sank in after the blade and his bowels discharged. Ehud did not pull out the sword for the fat closed in over it. Well, okay, well, that's why he was a very fat man. Now found out. Ehud went out to the porch. He shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. Stop there just for a moment, um, in a sense, because that's a lot to take in. It's a lot to take in for this story, but, but here is, in a, in a sense, this espionage story, this uh, um, mission impossible Ahud is in. He's, he's delivering a tri tribute, and, and, and as they leave, he sneaks back. He tells the king, hey, I have the secret message for you. I want to give it to you. And perhaps what's, uh, in a sense, a little shocking to us is that not only does Eglon, uh, the king, say, okay, yeah, tell it to me, he sends everyone out of the room. He's like setting himself up for disaster. But I think he does it because he literally does not see this attack coming. It's like the last thing he can think of. You know, we're like, why would someone do that? Is that like, you know, the, the scary movie logic, like you go into the place you're not supposed to go. Why would King Eglon do that? But in a sense, he just, he, he honestly didn't see it coming. Because of uh, Ehud being a lefty, and, and really, again, why they think there was this uh, problem with his right arm, they didn't see him as a threat. The king overlooked him. They didn't see any danger resulting in him. Well, if he couldn't carry a, a, a weapon with his right hand, he probably couldn't carry a weapon at all. And so his left-handedness allows him to get close to the king. All of a sudden, this, this big disadvantage in life this reason why he was completely overlooked, this reason why he, he wouldn't have been thought of as a, a deliverer becomes the very reason why God uses him. It becomes his greatest strength. And it's shocking to us, right? Here's this unlikely source. All of a sudden, now in God's hand, he's just the perfect person for the job. And what happens here in this room, this victory that Ahud establishes, it sets up the larger victory for Israel in just a few verses later. If you want to skip over now to verse 26, uh, we'll see that after uh, Ahud escapes, he goes and he rallies Israel uh, to now uh, actually really do what he was called to do, deliver them. And so verse 26 says, while they waited, Ahud got away. 
He passed by the stone, Im- uh, the stone images and escaped to Syrah. Uh, when he arrived there, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went down with him from the hills, with him leading the charge. That's supposed to be a pretty important part where not only do they come down, but now Ehud is leading the charge. If you want to skip just a few verses down to 30, uh, we get kind of the, the conclusion to what happens in Ehud's story. Verse 30 says, That day Moab was made subject to Israel, and the land had peace for 80 years. It's that conclusion part, well, in a sense conclusion, it's the highest part in that cycle, where now there's this peace coming. But verse 26 and 27 make it pretty clear that all of a sudden Ehud goes from this person that was overlooked uh, to now where he was supposed to be leading the charge. And it's kind of strange, you know, like, why are we studying a story of, like, here's a guy who sneaks in and he kills an evil king? Like, it's kind of a weird Bible story to be doing on a Sunday morning. But I think the reason that that part was important to the story is because Israel would have never followed uh, Ehud into battle if he had not first secured for himself and for the whole country uh, the victory. If he hadn't been the one to, to... kill Eglon alone, it wouldn't have set up uh, his role as the deliverer. Because uh, Ehud was overlooked, because he was weak in their eyes, he had to be the one to do something great, to secure the victory uh, in order for everyone else to follow him. And it's interesting because I think while he was an unlikely source in Israel's eyes, we see that his availability, his willingness, uh, ended up making him the right choice in God's eyes. And the outcome is pretty clear. We get verse 30 just to tell us what happened uh, when he stepped up. Uh, Not only did they win the battle, but there's peace for 80 years. Unfortunately, until the cycle continued again, until the people again forgot God. Even though it's perhaps a somewhat of a strange story uh, to be looking at on a, on a Sunday morning, I do think there's some interesting takeaways that we can see from the life of Ehud. I think there's some ways, not only that we can see some things for ourselves, some applications for ourselves, but really some ways that we can see uh, some new things about God and, or just see God's character at work in this story. And so just three quick takeaways for you that, that I think is important in the life of Ehud and this invisible Uh, that God used. I think the first one is this, is that um, God saves through unlikely sources. I mean, uh, hopefully that was pretty clear throughout the whole story, that God saves through these unlikely sources, because Ehud was pretty unlikely. He was uh, definitely an afterthought, but that ended up being something useful. Israel overlooked him, but so did King Eglon. Because he was this unlikely source, and because he was overlooked, uh, he ended up being the right person for the job. And I think that's partly because, you know, who didn't end up overlooking him? God didn't overlook him. Even though the nation did, God didn't overlook Ehud. No one would have chose him, and yet God does. Because when he was placed in God's hand, Ehud's greatest uh, disadvantages became his greatest strength. No one would have chosen him. And you know what's interesting is, I, I think we see that the Bible loves these kind of characters. The Bible just loves these characters, these quote-unquote underdogs or these, these unlikely sources, these people that you wouldn't think um, would, would be the perfect person for the job, and then all of a sudden uh, you see the Bible just loves these people. 
They love the shepherd boy who becomes a king, even though God first gave him exactly what Israel wanted before him. The Bible loves the, the beauty pageant winner who saves a nation. Uh, this this a famous church persecutor who all of a sudden becomes you know, one of the greatest church missionaries and planters. And a lefty uh, who, who, because of his weakness, becomes a military hero. The Bible and God is, is not scared of using unlikely sources. He's not scared of using people who, who we, we wouldn't think are the right people for the job. And Ehud was unlikely because of his weakness, and yet his weakness became a strength. I think that's a challenge for us. I think that's a challenge for us, especially in PV. And a lot of times, I think we in church like to throw out this phrase like, um, uh, either like trusting God or, or perhaps even better for this scenario, we say like, oh, just lean on God. Lean on God. That's a good saying, but the reality is we often don't want to find ourselves in the scenario where we have to do that. We can say it to other people, but like, we're like, yeah, I don't want to do that though. I'd rather not be caught in a, in a scenario where I need to, you know, that's my last resort kind of thing. Right here up on this hill, I mean, we are surrounded by accomplishment. You got to have some accomplishment to be up here. And I think because of that uh, accomplishment and especially independent accomplishment, it's a virtue. It's a PV virtue. I, I'm, I can, I say that as an outsider who's come in and, and just witnesses, like, this is something that our culture holds dear. Partly because you need it to be up here. And that's a good thing, except for that a lot of times we can allow that to bleed into our faith. We can allow that to, to, to control the way that we see God and the way that we, uh, in a sense, live out uh, what he's called us to. And so we become so used to just trusting in our own abilities, trusting in ourselves, uh, that all of a sudden, sometimes our strengths can get in the way of our faith just as much as what we would hold as our weaknesses. It's hard for us to get outside of our comfort level. We cling to what we're good at. We cling to where we feel safe. I think sometimes, though, we're called to where it doesn't feel so safe, where it doesn't feel so comfortable. But I think God's saying, if you're willing to step out there, if you're actually willing to live out this phrase that you, you use in your daily life, if you're actually willing to get into a place where you have to lean on me, you're going to see some amazing things. And maybe you'll be this unlikely hero this unlikely source that God uses. I think that's a challenge for us. The second thing I think we see here, and, and this is more where, um, it, I think it's, it's even more of like, here is God at work in his story. I think all the way here in Judges, early book of the Old Testament, we already see um, some, some signs where, where this judge Ehud is pointing to Jesus. See a few connections, I think, at play here. First off, I think one of the points in the book of Judges is that uh, time and time again, we're supposed to see that we need a better judge. We need a better judge. Uh, we need the judge. 
And so Ehud is actually probably one of the better ones. I mean, he's definitely in the top tier. Um, But even still, there's this connection to we need a better judge. And there's this connection, I think, partly to Jesus as well. There's some hints and connections we see later on in the story. Um, Like Ehud, uh, in his time, Jesus was a deliverer who um, often was hard for people to see that he was God's deliverer. Uh, his family at times didn't even see it. Uh, Jesus has to walk away from that, uh, from, from that part of the, his story, saying, you know, a prophet doesn't have any honor in his hometown. And so it was hard for people to make this connection um, in his time for some of these people. Like Ehud, Jesus, uh, he achieves the victory all alone, and yet it's on the behalf of his people. He achieves the victory all alone, but it's on the behalf of his people. Like Ehud, Jesus uh, defeats the enemy through what uh, some people would see as a crushing defeat. That didn't, that didn't go the way we expected. Maybe not for us, but for, for them, they're thinking, that's, that's not the way we thought it would go. It seemed like a weakness. I was reading um, a little bit from Timothy Keller, and he was, he was writing about how he saw some of these things take place and, and how he saw a little bit of a connection in Ehud um, with Jesus. And here's what he was saying um, about Ehud. He was saying, in these historical narratives, God is showing the world that his salvation will not come through a Hollywood way at all. It will come through an outsider born in a manger, through weakness, not through what the world calls strength, through a defeat, not what the world calls victory, through a folly, not what the world calls wisdom. But we're not supposed to make the same mistake that Eglon did when he looked at God's chosen deliverer and overlooked him. When he looked at God's chosen deliverer and, uh, really to put it as, as Pastor Bruce did, esteemed him not. We are to look at Christ and we're supposed to see the power and the wisdom of God. And so really, in a sense, to follow up what Pastor Bruce talked about as, as we are doing uh, communion, and, and now, in a sense, I want to use the language of judges, um, how do you remember Jesus? Right? How do you remember Jesus? Is he someone that moves you? Does he impact our daily lives? Or, like the people we see that are caught in this cycle of judges, do our hearts forget them? Is there a disconnect? We can know the stories, we can know the verses, um, we can even have the Awana badges to show that we know them. But if it's not something that permeates our hearts, if it's not something that goes deeper, um, then are we forgetting Jesus? And I think there's that call and this reminder, uh, don't miss God's deliverer. The final thing, and I want to borrow this from J.D. Greer, because uh, I think his phrasing is very good and it catches on. Um, it's your ability, or your availability is greater than your ability. Your availability is greater than your ability. It's a theme that's pretty constant in invisibles, hence they're invisibles, Um, It's because of their availability generally outweighs their ability. 
Um, God is willing to use people who are, who are at the margins of society. He's willing to use these invisible people um, often. And I think it's because when God uses his lefties, uh, it often shows that these great things they do, they point back to him. It points back to, oh, okay, God is definitely involved. That person could not have done that thing on their own. People say that. I've heard it about me, which is a good thing. No, that's a good thing, right? God's at work here then. And we want to jump into that. God works through that. I think it's important as we do this series, as we look at God's invisibles, um, as well for us to call out our own invisibles. Because we're, we're, we're looking and we're, we're looking through the pages of the Bible and we're looking for these people uh, and that in a sense we're, we're the afterthoughts or we're these margins or, or we're unlikely sources um, who God used for amazing things that we need to be calling out our own invisibles in our time and in our community. And so as I was thinking about this and I was talking to some people, uh, Colleen uh, gave me a great example. And I thought that's important because uh, uh, for all you children's uh, volunteers in the room, you often don't get thanked enough. And so we do want to thank you. Uh, and that's an important job. And so Judy, Judy McNeese, I think, is a great uh, invisible for us to celebrate. And Colleen told me about how when they, they had to do this transition and COVID uh, hit and we're, we're, we're trying to figure out how to use technology to all its advantages and we're, we're trying to get creative and we're thinking about all these new things. How do we do things differently um, as it first started? And so one of the things the kids ministry started doing was they started recording some different lessons. They started recording some illustrations and they started to do some of these things and they kind of found uh, at first it was a little bit of a challenge uh, to do. Uh, it was a struggle uh, not only because we probably don't have that many people that have on, you know, on-air time, uh, you know, practices, but also because it was something new for us. Um, and so one of the people she really wanted to, to, to shout out was Judy McNeese. Um, she was working hard to be in front of the camera and to start recording these lessons for Sunday mornings. Um, one of the things, though, she wanted to do was she wanted to just memorize the entire lesson to, to create this better product but oftentimes found that, that that would lead to some more anxiety. That would lead to more stress for the project, holding it so tightly. And Colleen says she remembers one time uh, that it, it took a lot of takes and that there was uh, definitely some frustration building with everyone and they were worried and they're, you know, they're, they're clinging on to this. But what was so important was that Judy never gave up. She never gave up, still now. She's motivated. She thought about the kids. She loved the kids. She moved for the kids, and because of her willingness, because of her availability, God used her. And we've seen these videos, we've seen the impact, and we've seen the things um, that children's ministry, that Awana does um, as we lay the foundation for these kids for the next generation. And so Judy McNeese is pouring into the next generation and how well that's leading into them. And that just kind of leads me uh, to this final thought, I think, um, and, it, and it's sort of this, it's, it's PCC. What would happen if we just imagined, um, for all of us in this community, uh, if we all recognize that God finds it good and pleasing to use each of us, to use us uh, to, towards our uniqueness, the lefties, to, to, to use us according to, to his plan and his power, the, the things that we are probably not as comfortable with uh, but, but he's saying, hold on, I got some great things planned. What would just happen in the next season? 
we were willing uh, to look for the ultimate judge and the deliverer for Jesus Christ and saying, I'm available, I'm willing. And if we trusted his power and, and knowing that he's going to turn our weakness into his strength, I think we would feel uncomfortable, but I think there would be some pretty great things that happen. I think we would feel uneasy and it would be hard. But afterwards, we would come back and look at that and be like, wow, look at what God did. I would have never thought that. But there he was. Let's pray. God, as we just come before you today and as we look at this life of Ehud, this lefty um, um, that you used, this person that was uh, overlooked, um, not just by his people, but, but, but really by Eglon as well, God. Um, and yet he was not overlooked by you. And we pray twofold, really just uh, for all the people in the room, God, we know that you do not overlook us, um, that, that you are there and you are present, um, God, and, and that you remember us even as we oftentimes have this disconnect and we, we forget you. Our hearts forget. So God, forgive us for when our hearts forget. But now inspire us uh, to, to, to be available for all that you have. To be willing to step out of our comfort zones if it's you who is calling us that way. If it's something for your kingdom, God, um, to be willing to, to just be a part of what you're doing and, and to, to then get to look back and just say, wow, God was at work through this. So God, I just thank you for, for all these people here. I thank you for what you are doing uh, on this hill, in this community. And God, we ask for more. We ask to, to, to be a part of what you're doing even more. And so we just pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen.